Several years ago, our family, the Levering family, uh, went to the beach. And uh, that may not be a, such an amazing thing to you, but for a family that's basically born and raised here in the Flatlands, uh, going to the beach is an awesome thing. Uh, especially at that time, that particular trip was the first time for our children to see the ocean. I will not forget that day. It will remain etched in my memory for a long time, particularly, I mean, I had been to the ocean before and and truly the awe that you're filled with, the power and the majesty of the waves come crashing in one at a time and just how sort of small and insignificant you feel. Uh, but in addition to that, it was fun for me to recall and to think about and to remember how our family reacted to the the ocean, to the beach that day. Uh, Grace was just a baby, and uh, she, uh, if she was walking, she was just barely walking. And, I mean, as soon as she stepped onto the sand, she just kind of did one of these things and, and instantly wanted to be held, wanted no part of the sand. Uh, in fact, as we were kind of walking, and either Christy or I were holding her, um, as we would try to set her down to let her, you know, walk in the sand and play a little bit, uh, she would literally, as we tried to set her down, her legs would just come up and sort of this levitating baby thing. Uh, it was really weird to see. She was not about, she wanted none of it. Uh, Tyler was a little bit older and he was uh, around six or so and he loved splashing and, and just playing in the ocean and, and uh, the water and uh, <clears throat> seeing all the all of the people and all of the different things that people were doing on the beach, uh, and Christy and I were enjoying just walking hand in hand, uh, you know, characteristic long walks on the beach. The romantic that I am, uh, it was a beautiful day. But all of us that particular day didn't go in very far. Uh, we stayed pretty shallow. And that makes sense with young children. It makes sense with, uh, certainly with babies. You, you don't want to go too far out into the, to the deep. But sometimes in our Christian walk, you'll see people that go for, for much of their lives staying real shallow, just kind of wading through, just, just kind of getting in about ankle deep with God. And, and that's not good. And see, if we, as we looked out that day onto the ocean, we, we looked out toward the horizon where the water was very deep. We could see the people on the boats and, and uh, you know, a little bit closer into shore were the, the surfers. And, and I'm sure probably way out beyond our ability to see were the, the divers going way down and seeing all sorts of wonderful things that we would never see just staying in the shallows. It's okay to stay in the shallows when you're young, but as you mature and as you grow... Uh, we need to go deeper. We need to go all in. And that's what 2019 is all about. We're going to challenge uh, you individually, us as a congregation, to go all in in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, no more shallow living. No more, no more just loving God when it's convenient. No more just sort of going ankle deep in your, in your walk with the Lord. It's the call to go all in. And maybe in another way, all out, loving God and loving other people. Uh, that's what we're talking about today, and, and that's what we're talking about this year. And uh, in this series that we're 
basing it on our annual theme, uh, we are talking about where you are. And what we're talking about today is very important, not because I'm saying it, but because Jesus did. Now, the scripture's already been read and it's already been alluded to. And we're going to go ahead and turn right back there to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. And if you wouldn't mind reading with me this morning, uh, I will read the words in black if you will read the words in red. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, uh, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The second is this. There is no commandment greater than these. Uh, when we think about uh, this particular text, uh, if I could just clue you into the part where you read the number of times the word all is used there. Uh, we're going to be talking about in this series what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. That's what I mean by going deeper, by, by, by letting the love of God consume all of you for all of him. In this text here, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers, are kind of having a back and forth with Jesus. And they'll try to trick him, and then he'll speak with authority about the words which he wrote and inspired. And they go back and forth, and they really don't seem to get it. And then, as they begin in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law, some translations say one of the scribes, these were people, particularly men who had been trained in the word, trained particularly with the Pentateuch, with the, the knowledge of the word of God. They, they listened to it, they memorized it, they wrote it, they, they taught about it, they talked about it, they listened to rabbis talk. They knew, so they thought, the word of God. In fact, by one count, the rabbis of the time had counted up the number of commands within the Old Testament. By their count, 613 commands. Uh, 613 commands, just 613 just happened to be the number of letters in the original language of the Pentateuch, of the number of letters in the Ten Commandments. So they thought that lined up real nicely. And when they took those 613 commands, and that's quite a list, when you think about all of the implications, I'm not sure how many of you are starting a daily Bible reading plan. By the way, if you don't have one, uh, we've got one in the foyer you can pick up. It's on the website as well. But I'm using uh, the daily Bible, which I try to do every year. And as I've gone through it, I'm getting now through Genesis and I can feel it coming. You know what's coming, right? You, you know, I mean, the, 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 the list of the genealogies and the exhaustive lists, of, and you start to be get, get a little exhausted in Exodus. Uh, you, you get a little bit lost in Leviticus. You're numb by numbers, and you don't know what to do in Deuteronomy. You, you know you are just getting there. You're, you're, you're just getting overwhelmed with all the commands and the lists and the details. And sometimes I just, in all honesty, say, God, do it was all of this detail necessary for me to know? 
Yeah, I believe that it is. But, but I bring that up to say, sometimes when you get overwhelmed, you just sort of uh, give up. When you count out 613 commands, and they had, they had even divided those 613 in commands. They had those that were in the affirmative, that was 248, and there's those that were in the negative, that was 365. And, and they had categorized them into categories of heavy and light. The light ones were there, they were there, but they weren't that important. The heavy ones were the ones that were very important. And they had subdivided and categorized and made these 613 laws to the point where the only people who were interested were people who sat around and discussed and debated and listened and memorized. And they missed the entire point of law. See, sometimes when you get a lot of, uh, sometimes when you get too much, you just give up. You just get overwhelmed. Uh, I want to ask, well, you, it's hard for you to relate with the Pentateuch and, and the 613 commands and all of that. So somebody ask you to do, give you a real life scenario that you can deal with. Have everybody in this morning in the room stand up, please. I know you're just now getting comfortable. You just get into that perfect sleeping position in the pew. You could just almost get there. And then he asks you to stand up. Now, for those of you who do not have a smartphone. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I, this one, this illustration will not work. If you do not have a smartphone, you may sit down. Okay. If you have a smartphone, but you do not use it to check your email and you, or you, you don't have one of those little notification numbers, you know, the red bubble with the numbers that tells you how many emails you have. If you don't use your smartphone to check emails and you don't have a little number above your email icon, you may sit down. Now, for the rest of you, I need to get out your smartphones, and I need you to pull open your email app and look at the number that you have next to your email icon, okay? The number you have next to your email icon. All right. Hopefully, you're there. Now, if that number is less than 100, you may sit down, okay? All right. You're getting a little nervous now. (laughs) See, I sent an email about this telling you you're going to be, you know, maybe you'll pay attention. But if if your number is 500 or less, you may sit down. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. If your number is 1,000 or less, please sit down. If your number is 2,000 or less, please sit down. If your number is 3,000 or less, please sit down. If your number is 5,000 or less, please sit down. My goodness. My question to you is sincere, okay? What are you doing with your life? How do you live? Okay. All right. No, no, no. no, no, no stay saying We're going to get to this. All right. 7,000 or less, please sit down. 10,000 or less, please sit down. All right. Now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. These are the seven people in this congregation that you should not bother to email at all. It does not matter one Bit. Oh, man. Okay. Do you have 20,000 or less? Sit down. (laughs) 30,000 or less? Sit down. 
Okay, I see Emily and Luke. Luke, how many do you have? 51,000. Emily, how many do you have? 72,000 emails. Oh, my. Oh, I just married. What? Oh, I'm sorry. Kelly, what do you have? 92,000. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I no Chick-fil-A gift cards for that sort of behavior. That is just... All right. Two-minute illustration to make this point. You understand that the higher that number goes, the less likely they are to care or check about check their email at all. Why? Because they're so overwhelmed. They're so inundated with every... They, they must... Kelly, are you subscribed to every email list on the planet? I mean, that, that is just... Okay, so when, when we think of this in our modern world, even when you get up to, if you just say had 613 emails, at some point you go, you know what, I give up. I can't do it anymore. I can't keep up with my email. Clearly, there's too much going on in my life uh, I, to even try to keep up. Now, if you understand that, then you understand where the Jewish people were with God. Because they had these people who were very smart and they had all of these rules and they had all these rules connected to rules and all of these things. And they became so overwhelmed with God that, in fact, what they called their teaching, they would call a yoke. And Jesus chastised them, saying, you, you, you bury these yokes on people and they don't want anything to do with God. So sometimes we think all in means we need to get really complicated and really busy with God. And that is far from the case. Now, what we need to do is prioritize. Now, if you have over a thousand emails, it's time for you to do a very simple thing. Declare email bankruptcy. I mean, seriously, uh, just go in and mark every single one as read. Kelly, it's going to take about a half an hour for your phone to do that. It'll probably blow up the battery or something. But, but it's just time to say, I, you know what, I've got to start over. I, I can't do this anymore. And then when, when you get to a point where you can begin to say, okay... What do I need to prioritize? I need to unsubscribe from these things. Every time I get an email, I need to either act on it or I need to delete it or I need to forward it to somebody else. Just for fun, if you get an email this week, forward it to Kelly. That would just. (laughs) Now, the teachers of the law had pronounced this. They had debated which was the, the most important command, which one was the weightiest, which one mattered most. And they're trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus says, Listen, it's all very simple. The most important one is what the Jews call the Shema, which literally means to hear. I love that because it's Jesus saying God's pronounced to you to listen. And the Shema was this Deuteronomy chapter six in the original. And it would have been certainly one that they would have known here. O Israel. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Uh, Modern Jews consider the reciting of the Shema. uh, They do this both in the morning and in the evening. Why? Why? 
Because at the beginning of their day and at the end of the day, regardless of what's happened through that day, the thing that matters most is did I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. Loving God is central to all of it. Of all the 613 commands, of all the categories, if you, if you just declare commandment bankruptcy and say, okay, 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 I give up, I give up, uncle. What is it you want from me, God? Jesus would repeat to you what he said to them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It not only surpasses all the commands, it's foundational to all the commands. And we, we can keep all the commands. We can think we live a pretty good life. But if, if you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, eternity is going to be an awfully long time. If you don't desire to know God and to be in relationship with God, why do you care about the commandments of God? And the answer is you won't. You'll just check off a list and try to be comparatively good. I'm good in the sense that I, you know, I haven't murdered anybody and I, and I, and I haven't, uh, haven't done any of the really bad sins. But you won't really care about loving God the whole way, about going in all in to the deep end with God. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 verse 14 if you're following along a letter to people who were trying to make Christianity about the list. And Paul's writing to them about being free in Christ. And he, he says this in verses 13 and following. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law, remember, this is written by a Pharisee, a teacher who is trained by Gamaliel, a Pharisee who was righteous as you could be considered righteous under the law. And this is what that Pharisee says about the law. He says it, the entire thing is summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that's what we're going to talk about. Loving God with everything we have and loving others in the same way. Now that sounds very good. But what does love mean exactly? Because especially in the English language, we have for sure overused and abused the word love. It's something that you fall into. It's something that you can't help. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's been glamorized and romanticized by the movies. It, you know, I tell my wife of 20 years this year, baby, I love you. And I also love spicy chicken sandwiches. Now, we understand the difference, maybe, but, but I'm just trying to tell you that when we talk about being all in with God and loving him with everything we have, we've got to be careful in our culture because we think that love has everything to do with how I feel or, or uh, what, I, what I do. 
But love is so much more than that. And this morning we're going to be looking at love from a view of 30,000 feet. And then over the next several weeks we're going to get more specific and drill down just a little bit. The first is loving God means trust. Trusting God. Um, trust is a beautiful thing except for that very first time because trust means risk. Uh, when, when you make that investment, uh, when you go in with a business partnership, uh, when you get married, these are all actions of trust that uh, have some amount of risk because you are putting your, you're linking yourself up with someone else. You're putting your life in someone else's hands. You remember the very first time, for those of you who are married, you told your, remember you, the very first time you told them that you loved them? Or that they told you that they loved you. I remember that time. Whew. And Christy and I have been dating a little while. And I kind of thought I liked her more than just liked her. I think I really liked, liked her. But I needed to tell her so that she knew. So that. And so came the moment. One night after a, a date where we had been. And I had been thinking about it the whole time. I got to say it. I got to say it. And so we were saying goodbye, and I said, I, I, I just said, I, I just want you to know something. I, I love you. In a moment of absolute trust and risk. Because in that moment, if she doesn't reply in kind, that's a pretty big matzo ball hanging out there, okay? It's, it's, it gets real awkward. I'm just hoping she doesn't reply with thank you. Or, yeah, I, I knew it. <laughs> But she replied, I love you too. And it was the beginning of a, of a beautiful two-decade-long journey that she will tell you has been all bliss. <laughs> but you, you see, in that moment, there was a risk. Now, today, we tell each other that two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times a day, every day. And if I can be honest, sometimes... I do it without giving the same amount of thought, the same amount of pause, the same amount of consideration as it did the first time. Because there's no, there's no risk now. Or at least there's not as much. When we tell God we love Him, we are saying that we trust Him. Turn to Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3. I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but catch this in all your ways, submit to him. Now, I wouldn't ask you today, this morning, if you trust God, I wouldn't ask you by show of hands. I wouldn't ask you to say it out loud because it's sort of expected here. The way you show whether you trust God is if you submit to him in all your ways. Intellectually, in your entertainment, in your relationships, in your worship, in your desire to know his word, in your keeping the commands. Do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to forgive your enemy and pray for them? Do you trust him enough to be buried with him 
in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you trust him enough to pray to him? Do you trust him enough to call out to him? Do you trust him enough? That's what love is, what it all comes down to. Do you trust God? Faith is putting our trust in action. Faith is when we begin to submit, to do all the things that he's required of us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great faith chapter. But these were people who loved God enough to trust him in all their ways. Now, we're not going to go through the entire chapter, but we're going to pick out a few examples. Go to verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah had enough love and enough holy fear for God that the moment that God called him to build an ark for a flood and a likelihood, in all likelihood, they had never seen that kind of water before. It's something that would take, by some accounts, over a hundred years of his life to construct. The moment when God called Noah, it began to start chopping down the gopher wood. Because he trusted God with his life, with his family, and he trusted that even though he didn't fully understand it, he trusted the Lord. Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. The the beautiful, powerful thing about what Abraham does, this old man who is without child, who's been promised a child, descendants as numerous as the dust and the earth, as the stars in the sky, as the sands on the shore. And yet when that very first descendant comes, God says, Abram. I need you to go up the mountain. And the very next day, Abram took Isaac up the mountain. The Hebrew writer says that Abram considered his son in that moment, not in the moment of sacrifice, but before he even went up the mountain, he was considering Isaac to be a son already dead. He was that committed to it. He trusted God with all that he had. What other option did he have? Could he understand it? Did it make logical sense? Was, was it reasonable that God would take his only offspring and ask him to sacrifice him? No. But Abram was all in. He was all in with God. He loved God enough with his heart, with his soul, with his mind, with his strength, that the moment that God called him to make a sacrifice that no parent can even imagine, Abraham went. Abraham had sacrificed him here long before he went up to the altar. 
And when his little son cried out to him as they went up, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where, where is the sacrifice? Oh, can you imagine what that would do to your heart as a father? But Abraham pressed forward and said, God himself will provide the lamb. Skip down to verse 22 of Hebrews 11. By faith, when his end was near, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Joseph trusted God's timing and God's plan so that he was... He was able to make long-term burial plans. We're talking about centuries after he would die. Joseph said, by the way, when we leave here centuries from now, I want you to take my bones out of here. Because he had saw how God worked in his life up to that point and knew that God was always in control. That's love. That's love in a measure that is so hard for even to be, to, to wrap, for, for us to wrap our feeble minds around. But these are simple examples of trust being put into action. You see, trust, trust is one of those things that's easier to say than to do. You've probably heard about Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin, uh, was a famous Frenchman, uh, famous for tightrope walking. And Charles Bondon had this idea in his mind that he would stretch a tightrope across Niagara Falls, 160 feet above the falls, and he'd walk across it. And so he did. In September 14th of 1860, Charles Bondon walked across the tightrope across Niagara Falls. You're looking at the picture now, but by, but by the way, he didn't just walk across it once and, and everybody gave a big hurrah. There were crowds on both sides watching this amazing feat as Charles Blondin did more than just walk across it. He went across it on stilts. He rode across it on a bicycle. He got a wheelbarrow and put a sack of potatoes in it and pushed it across And each time he did these amazing feats, the crowd would sit back in just utter astonishment and say, Ooh, ah, just, they were just amazed at this man's ability and his control and his strength and his skill. And as he came across this last time with the wheelbarrow, as the audience was in awe, he he said, Do you think I could carry someone in this wheelbarrow back across the falls? They said, Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt after we've seen all the things you've done for sure. Then he said, may I have a volunteer? (laughs) Trust in word is far, far different than trust in deed. My question for you is this. With God, are you in the crowd or are you in the wheelbarrow? When you consider your walk with God, when you talk about coming to worship and giving God your heart, your soul, your mind and strength here every week, are you with the crowd or are you in the wheelbarrow? When it comes to giving sacrificially to support mission works or know your Bible or celebrate recovery or just the ongoing work here at the kingdom, are you in the crowd or are you in the wheelbarrow? 
when it comes to stepping out on faith and, and maybe taking one of those Bibles this morning. And, you know, he said, it's about time. Uh, it's about time for me to share my faith with my neighbor. God, I'm not sure that I could ever do it. Are you in the crowd? Or are you in the wheelbarrow? I've been thinking about my neighbors. We moved about a year ago, and I haven't had a great deal of contact, a little bit, but not much with my neighbors. And I keep going back to if the, the loving your neighbor is the chief command, do my neighbors know that? And begin praying this past week, which is always a dangerous thing. God, could you create a way for me to have, for us, for you to use us right here at this address to be able to share your love with our neighbors? And I would pray that prayer and, you know, just kind of thought, well, we'll see what God does. And God showed up on Thursday night. Thursday night is, I was driving my son home from Taekwondo practice. We came home and, and right in front of us was a huge fire truck and they wish, wished by and they pulled over just at my neighbor's house. Uh, my neighbor to the south of me had had a small fire in their kitchen. They were not home, their children were, and so the children were outside with the dogs, and the firemen came over and explained what happened. It was small, it wasn't a major structure fire or anything. They said, the parents aren't home, Could you, would you mind to in, have the children in your home until, until mom and dad get here? They're on their way. I said, yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. We kind of knew the kids a little bit. But, so here come the kids, and here come their dogs, and, and I'm just in awe, and I shouldn't be, because you know, I do this for a living, I'm just in awe about what happens when you trust God. And so they came, and Dad came, and he apologized profusely, and we talked about it. And I said, you know, I knew they were nerves were rattled, and they just had a huge life moment there. And I said, hey, if you guys, if you guys need anything, you know, we're right here. And about nine o'clock on Thursday night, my neighbors knocked on the door. And so, well, we need some help watching the kids and wondered if you might be able to help us with that. Hmm. I know trusting God, but sometimes trusting God means he's going to get all up in my comfort. He's going to ask me to step outside this, this little Toby protective zone, which is normally Chick-fil-A. He, he, he's going to ask me to come over here outside of the comfort zone into where the good stuff happens. I don't know. They didn't ask to be baptized that night. I don't know where this is going to go. But I know when we trust and we obey... God always and never ceases to work. There is no doubting, you see, God's love for us. We gather to worship in praise of that love almost every week. We talk about it, we sing about it, we pray about it. But, in fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But the question is, how does he know That we love him by what we say, 
by a location that we went for an hour once a week or twice a week or three times a week. That's not it. He says, if you want to be all in with me, you've got to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Why? Because he gave it to you. We're hosting some of the York College singers tomorrow night. By the way, if you don't have any plans tomorrow evening, join us back here tomorrow at 7 o'clock for the York College concert. Ryan, where are you? Got enough? Good. So we're hosting some of the singers. And yesterday, the day before, Tyler came up. He said, thanks for giving away my room, Dad. Oh, son. We had a little come to Jesus meeting. It's not your room. It's every bit of my room. Uh, So says the uh, deed recorder at the courthouse. It's every bit of mine. And I gave it to you for a time. But I want you to do with that as I will. This is preacher talk now. Preacher's kids understand this. My question for you is, God gave you your heart. He gave you your soul. He gave you your mind. And he gave you your strength. And you and I somehow foolishly believe that it's ours. No. Now, he gave it to you for a time. And my question is, how are you showing him you love him? What are you doing with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength? God does not consider what you do to be loving unless you do what he said to do. The scriptures were, in fact, already read for us this morning. I didn't even plan that out, but I think that was a Holy Spirit thing in John chapter 14. Jesus, as he prepares to leave this world, instructs his disciples in these ways. And we're going through this on Wednesday night. If you care to join us, we're talking about these final instructions that Jesus gave. Listen to a few of these verses. If you love me, verse 15, you will keep my commands. Verse 21, if whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verses 23 and 24, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. So I want to finish this morning by asking two questions for you, and that is this. Two questions for you this morning. Number one, do you love God? And, and that's not determined by the fact that you're here this morning. I, I mean, I think if, you're, if you love God, you'll be here this morning, but be, just because you're here does not mean you love God. The question is, do you love God? Over 613 commands in the Old Testament. And Jesus said there were basically, when it comes down to it, two that matter most. The second question is, how does he know? How does he know that you love him? Have you showed any trust? Have you obeyed his commands? Have you done what he's asked you to do? 
Have you showed your faith in him actively? You see, Jesus gave, here's a simple one. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus gave this command right before he left. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Hey, you can say you love God. You can say you love Jesus. But if you haven't done that, then you haven't showed you love him. You showed you, 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 you say you love him, but you haven't showed it yet. And so my challenge for you and for the rest of this year is that we go out further than we've ever gone before. And then we stop being in the shallow end. This morning, if you have a need and you don't know Christ, you want to love Christ, then the first and best way to do that is to do what he said to do. If you are ready to do that this morning, come now and we will help you to obey and to do what he said to do. And if you're struggling, if you're a Christ follower, but you haven't been following, you've got some hatred in your heart, you haven't forgiven someone yet, you've been gossiping, you've been watching things that you shouldn't, you're struggling with some sort of sin and you need to repent, well, let us help you with that too. May you not miss out on the opportunity to show him that you love him. May we be all in this year as a body. May you be all in with him in your relationship with him. If you have a need this morning, please come. Our shepherds will meet you down front as together we stand and sing.